Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. We are live with the amazing Dr. Susanna Petro. Welcome to the show, Susanna. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me here. Oh, you are most welcome. So for those that don't know Dr. Susanna Pecci, she is a functional medicine GP, speaker and trainer, specialising in psychological trauma and its impact. She combines both personal and academic understanding of psychological trauma to train life coaches and healthcare professionals, which I think is so important in today's world, via her Trauma Sense programme to become more trauma-informed. And she's also part of an innovative NHS-funded holistic programme for those with diagnosis of CPTSD and or EUPD. Um, and she also works with one-to-one clients exploring how tra- stress and trauma impact physical and mental health. And I'd love for you to, for those that don't know what they are, is um, expand on CPTSD and also EUPD, if you wouldn't mind before we start. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, PTSD, a lot of people will have heard of as post-traumatic stress disorder. And the C just stands for complex Okay. So it's a difference. So PTSD tends to be what people just describe as everything being, but actually PTSD refers to when there is a one-off traumatic event, say a you know a devastating car crash or mm-hmm. um, you know just a, a something a, a one-off life-changing event. Mm-hmm. Whereas complex PTSD is when there are ongoing events that occur. So, for example, child abuse or domestic you know, domestic abuse, where there are lots of things that are happening. Lots of events that stack. Exactly. And EUPD stands for Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder, um, which is sometimes called Borderline Personality Disorder. Personally, I've got an issue with those labels. Um, I just hasten to add that um, what I'm going to be talking about today are my views only and are not affiliated to um, anywhere that I work. I feel very strongly that labeling with people with these, like saying personality disorders is can be really harmful in, in, for, for most people. And there's a lot of evidence showing that um, women who unfortunately live through sexual abuse, sexual assault are when they seek help are then labeled with a personality disorder when it's actually a trauma response. Yeah. And do you uh, know, I totally agree with you there because I, I recently learned that trauma is, the origin of the word trauma is wound. It mm-hmm. comes from, you know, I don't know which, which language it comes from, but actually it, it means wound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that is exactly what it is. It, You know, I, I just can't get my head around why people label it as a disorder. It's got nothing to do with having a disorder. It's about healing the wound that you experienced whenever that happened in in your life um you know especially if it's complex Mm -hmm. you know it's not and I know um you know Dr Gabor Mate um and Bessel van der Valk is very informed we were talking about this before we came on wasn't he is that trauma isn't just what happens to you but it's what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you and I think people you know, often are perceived as um, broken or faulty as a, as a result of the trauma. But the the reality is they actually, they haven't healed, their wound hasn't healed because they haven't received the appropriate treatment 
whether that's treatment that they can do for themselves or treatment that they need to get from other people to support them in healing the wound and yeah. that you know the wound is still open and it's still yeah. gushing <laughs> yeah yeah I mean the way that I define psychological trauma is actually it's a normal response to an abnormal situation that's it so it's the we tend to label it as disorders and there's something wrong and for people to think there's something wrong but it's literally psychological trauma is simply normal responses to an abnormal situation the problem is when they then get stuck and someone doesn't work through them but body doesn't work through them we can talk about that more mm -hmm. it's when they get stuck when the memory gets misfiled when these survival responses become habits that's yeah. where the problem is but it yeah. all starts out as a survival response and they're all entirely normal responses completely so natural because it's exactly. like you said it's survival of our species it's yeah. how we're programmed to survive yeah so labeling then somebody who has actually gone through a survival response as, as abnormal as faulty as something wrong with them is just incredibly harmful yeah i can i completely agree and uh, i'm super excited to talk about this because i'm very passionate about you know, helping people recover from trauma. Um, mm. What What are you passionate about in life right now? What What fires you up? Um, exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I mean, it sounds really weird, and I, I have a lot of people who just think, you know, say so you just you just want to talk about trauma because people have this perception it's really depressing. Now, obviously, the traumatic incidents are horrific. However, there is so much we can do to help. There's so much that we can do to help prevent people get impacted. And then when people are stuck and impacted, there's so much we can do to help. And if that knowledge, if we can share that and get that out there, it could just transform people's lives. Yeah, do you know, I absolutely agree. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of my clients, Senga, who, um, you know, the importance of going back in to understand your trauma and not be dismissive of it and then equipping, being equipped with the right tools so that you're not yeah. just unchaining your pain from your past trauma, but mm -hmm. you are equipped to deal with future traumas uh, and are able to minimise the impact of those future traumas through the training that you've received. And I, you know, I, I just can't, um, you can't underestimate <laughs> the importance and the value of being more trauma informed. And I personally myself have not been, I've been through my own traumatic experiences of which there are many, yeah. Um, from childhood all the way through to, to the near present day and and actually the present day and have to talk about that um but if I if I hadn't taken the time to be more trauma-informed myself and and now subsequently yeah. help people um I would be a, a much more uh agitated angry um impulsive person uh, yeah. and much less calm uh, and composed in dealing with situations um, and I'm really grateful that I took that took that time yeah. to, to down regulate myself yeah 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 mm. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about your experiences uh, but it's unfortunately it's really common it's and so we just, common we just don't like to think that's true so we live in a world where we just rather think that bad things don't happen and of course you know we would all rather that that's the case 
But the reality is that bad things do happen. And unfortunately, they happen very frequently. So that denying that it actually happens just adds to the wounding and and that that ignoring that this is actually a thing and that and that there are then consequences and actually you know reviewing the guests that've been on my show um although i don't have the actual figures but i would say th- two thirds to three quarters of my guests um have had traumatic experiences from mm. childhood yeah. um and often that have gone unaddressed um and and been boiling underneath the surface and express it you know being expressed in a multitude of different ways as adults that have resulted in ultimately a for some people it's been a breaking point where they've had had to ask for help that's often what happens absolutely Yeah. yeah So, so before we dive into this, because I know we've got so much to talk about, and I have a feeling we could talk for hours on this. <laughs> um, but before we dive in, what is optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your life's journey? I think it's it's about just doing things day to day. I think we often, and I've been guilty of this and kind of learned this the hard way, that that idea of looking after my brain health is because there's something wrong with me rather than it's just to keep well. So we all know about being physically healthy. We talk about the need for, you know, eating five a day and exercising and people can rattle those things off, but don't consider it's not just about our body. You can't take this off. You know, it's about our brain and our body. We're one holistic being and it's about integrating that and just looking after ourselves day to day to maintain our well-being yeah I, do you know I absolutely 100% agree and it isn't it so easy or hasn't it been so easy in the context of how medicine has shaped itself to separate all these different parts of us yeah. rather than actually look at the whole person yeah uh, and and the whole impact on that person yeah. because we know that you know, I the mean keeps the score as well Exactly. And I mean, if you think about traditionally how hospitals are set up, psychiatry is in a separate building. Like you've got all of the physical health things in one bit and, and the mental health is kind of even a, you know, completely separated when it's all interlinked. Mm. And, and I want to share a story with that, my own personal story, actually. It is, I really hurt, and it, it, it doesn't seem like much, but it's importance of how everything is interlinked. Yeah. I, for some reason, after I went away on holiday, I went cycling, got in the car to go home, got out of the car at home, and I could hardly move my leg. My hip was kind of like it was really difficult to move, like chronically painful. And then when I started walking up the stairs, it got acutely painful. Gotcha. And I, I couldn't understand how it happened. It just randomly came on. Um, and so I phoned, went through the normal NHS system, which was really difficult. Um, so I pay, I thought, do you know, I'm just need to get this solved because I'm in at agony. So I went to a physiotherapist, booked myself in privately, 55 pounds. And, um, he said, when he assessed me, he said, you have got, your brain is telling you that it's painful in your hip. Um, you need to decouple the physical pain that you're actually experiencing, which, which is minimal from the psychological pain that you you think you're experiencing, yeah. um, which had been coupled together and break yeah. the two. 
uh, and the pain will significantly reduce. And I thankfully have havening on my side, and yeah. I, I used havening to break that, the break the two pain elements, and was ma- massively improved my pain uh, levels Gosh. by yeah. doing that. And we forget that, don't we? That we do. It, it, is it in, interconnected? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's so true. What you, I was talking about this earlier. It was earlier today or yesterday with someone that how we can collapse things together. So when things happen around the same time, we just in our, our brains collapse those together. So then we can have an association when there actually there isn't a link. And it's yeah. about connecting things. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also we can we can collapse things together hist- from our history. Absolutely. So, you know, people, I had a, a client who had a knee injury um, and was unable to walk, uh, and it was associated with a previous knee injury, and there was a lot of psychological trauma tied into the knee injury. And when we yeah. broke that, they were able to run in three days, and they'd been, you know, kind of total limited mobility. Yeah. Um, so it's really important, you can't, you know, for me, is that you look at the whole history <laughs> To know where, that, where, where it's joined together. Yeah. Which is why I find it so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, very true. So I'd love to dive into your story of what led you to wanting to help people become much more trauma-informed. Yeah, so, I mean, I, so I'm a GP, like you said, and I've been, um, I mean, I qualified as a doctor in 99, so I've I've been practising for a very long time. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. um, and I've been, I've always kind of had an interest in mental health. I've always kind of veered that way. Um, and so although I trained as a GP, I've always kind of veered that way. I've, I've set up mental health, um, services when we lived in Sydney for a while. I, I worked in, worked there for five years. I worked in clinical commissioning in this country, I was a lead commissioner for mental health. So it's always kind of been my my bag and my interest. Um, and then it was six, seven, seven years ago now that I realized I was things weren't right. That mm-hmm. I'd had kind of 20 odd years of periodically not feeling right, um, being told I had depression, being on antidepressants, seeing umpteen therapists. And just getting up to the point of being okay and being able to function, but never actually resolving it. Okay. And this particular point, kind of seven, eight years ago, lots of things had coincided. And I ended up disclosing, so I ended up going to see a therapist um, and saying again, look, I think I'm I'm a bit stressed. I think I'm depressed again. And, and we kind of spoke, you know, over a number of weeks. And she said, look, actually, I think that... Um, I think you've got more anxiety symptoms. No, I don't. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't identify with that at all. And she kind of very gently said, look, actually, I think you might have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I did, I did say, do you know who I am? I'm a doctor. I would know this. And I totally did not recognize it at all in myself. And she was amazing and very gentle and very compassionate and, she advised and guided me to seek help from a specialist so a therapist who specialized in trauma mm-hmm. um, being very careful so I didn't feel rejected I mean she, she was brilliant how she did it and 
she said, look, the best thing is don't go away now and read up about trauma. Just make sure you come back next week and we'll explore a bit more. Obviously, I went home and read up, Googled as much as I could about PTSD and particularly complex PTSD. Yeah. Which at that point I'd never heard of. And I literally fell apart. The next morning I was at the GP surgery. It was me doing the early surgery. So I was there at seven o'clock in the morning. And by nine o'clock, I was a sobbing heap in the corner of the room. I just, I turned all the lights off. I couldn't stand bright lights. My colleague came rushing in, checking to see what had happened. And I was sent home for two weeks and I actually didn't work for six months. Mm. And I, yeah, everything you know my whole world fell apart I couldn't um I couldn't be in a room that was bigger than a small room like anything bigger just felt too frightening just that mm-hmm. space felt too frightening um distance depth percep- perception and color just was all distorted and I I literally thought I was going mad and it was absolutely terrifying because I you know being a doctor I used my brain like that's yeah that's I do that's my job that's my livelihood and it was only then through the help of this trauma therapist who just normalized everything she's like yeah yeah you feel like this yep 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 that's all that's all part of post-traumatic stress disorder and then I started researching more and thinking this is ridiculous like what is going on in my brain and my body that I started finding books like the from Bessel van der Kolk the body keeps the score yeah yeah exactly and um and eventually found a course in Chester University a master's in psychological trauma and I signed up never thinking I'd finish it just to try and learn what was going on with me and I was just at the same time horrified and amazed at how much research there is out there showing what we can do there is so Mm. much help available and yet I didn't know about it. And mm. I thought, if I don't know about it as a doctor who specializes in this. What are we doing? Yeah. And it completely transformed my practice. So it's it's almost was like putting on glasses and being able to just see everything clearly. And it just made so much sense to both the, the patients that I was seeing, but also how my peers were, were being impacted by working within within the health service mm-hmm. um and since then it's just really become my passion and my vocation to help as many people understand recognize what's going on in their body realize there's nothing wrong with them that these are just normal responses to an abnormal situation and just get as many people as possible to that point where they feel trauma informed so they can help more people and we have this ripple effect isn't it um you know really sad that people don't realize how much support is out there and Mm. also you know how much power we have within ourselves through you know holistic techniques that tap into beyond the 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 spoken word to help us unchain our pain and you know there's just so many um uh, tapping and um I'm sure you can reel off a a spot, brain spotting and havening and um, uh, somatic uh, uh, experience and and uh, the family systems that people often use. And I'm sure. Do you have any other ones that I haven't already said? Yeah, I mean, I think 
it's it's a really I think it's a really important point to make that for a lot of people talking therapies don't work agreed Uh, so you know talking therapies is often the first port of call it really helped me to start with being having being validated and being seen and heard was hugely helpful in my healing journey um and for some people that um having a space to tell their story is really really important but for many going over things is re-traumatizing because you're going right. over and over it and it takes people back to that point when something happened and that's and, uh, just from a brain perspective yeah it's really harmful and for just from a brain perspective is the more we use it the stronger the pathway becomes exactly. in our minds you, exactly. you know we relink neural networks that actually we want to break Exactly. And so it can be so, so damaging um, for people, particularly when the trauma is, well, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, when it's an incredibly traumatic experience, it's like rebuilding a motorway that you're trying to break up. Exactly. Um, It's not something we want to do. And I think the other thing that I find um, fascinating, the concepts of talk, is that often we can be traumatized before we have the ability to talk you know in the context of childhood trauma and so you can't your brain is not mature enough um to articulate the verbal words that relate to the trauma but you experience the trauma somatically you experience it cognitively you you experience it from an autonomic perspective um but you can't uh, and an emotional perspective but you can't articulate it from a verbal perspective and so using words and speaking about it, it is not going to remove it in the same way that you can do with other techniques yeah. because you want to either tap into the, the source as to how the trauma was encoded or the outflows um, that relate to the, the, the trauma response. Yeah. So it's absolutely it's it's where I mean that's where that title it, from Bessel van der Kolk is so great because it the body knows the score it is mm-hmm. it's held in the body, and so this is where people thinking it's it's you know it's up here that people are you know they just need to talk their way out of it, it it just doesn't work. And I remember one of my um, teachers when I was doing the masters in Chester said it's like. Um, trauma is like a dandelion so you know dandelion plants like a kind of a weed that have really deep roots mm-hmm. so talking therapy can help pick the leaves off but it doesn't get rid of the roots and it's that image just has really stuck with me and yeah. so it's things like <clears throat> like you've talked about the body work of somatic experiencing or internal family systems or things even things like acupuncture can be hugely helpful in really helping move those energy blocks around the body so there's so many different things that people can go and see a practitioner about that are not just that talking therapy um Massage is also really helpful. So some people have, you know, although it's not a therapy by any stretch of the imagination, uh, just massage. Yeah, yeah. Often people have a huge, can have a huge emotional release through massage uh, because our skin is, you know, considered the third organ, the third brain, because because of the sensory connections to our brain and how it's held held there. But some people might find that too hard. Exactly. 
to be touched and to be exposed in that way. So it's, mm -hmm. it's I think what I what I really want people to understand is that, you know, yes, talking therapies can be brilliant. There's something called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, which is fantastic, but there's a whole load of grounding and stuff that happens around that. So these, there are these modalities that are great. And if somebody cannot face talking to someone or cannot face talking about it or, or doesn't want to be touched, there are so many other things that can be done. So things like we said, EFT or tapping, acupuncture, brain spotting, but also in general, just looking at how we're living our lives and doing things like the really, really simple things like going out into nature, seeing daylight, seeing meditation, seeing, ground. meditation um, making sure that we're, we're eating healthily. It's because if we think like at a really basic level, what's going on in our body, this normal response to an abnormal situation, that's an acute stress response. And that's what keeps us alive. There's nothing wrong with that. That's entirely normal. What becomes a problem is when it's not switched off and it becomes chronic stress. And then mm. when it becomes chronic stress, that leads to inflammation throughout the body. And that's the thing that causes problems. That's where all the medically unexplained symptoms are so linked with trauma. And it's I mean, it's not as simple as saying if someone's had trauma, then they're ne then they're necessarily going to end up that way. There's genetic predisposing factors that come into that. So it's it's the context and the background and the life story. There's all of that comes into it. But doing things to help calm the inflammation. So by trying to as much as possible, and I appreciate this is hard, but trying to reduce our sugar intake, reduce our alcohol intake, eat whole foods, eat vegetables, get some exercise that might just be going for a walk, see some trees, stroke a dog. It's just really simple things can be hugely, hugely healing. So often people think it needs to take loads of money. But actually, there's a lot that individuals can do themselves. Yeah, and I think I 100% I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I love um, for myself personally to downregulate myself, depending on the stress response that I'm having, because you, you can use different tools to downregulate. So if I'm really angry um, about something and I'm stressed, stre angry stressed or stressed angry, I like to use a physical activity to downregulate to kind of run it out so and I often encourage this with my daughter if she's angry you know kids often stamp their feet in anger is is I tell her to run it off so it's so it's constructive um release rather yep. than a destructive release conversely yep. if I'm sad or <laughs> I'm uh, anxious I might choose to go out for a walk in nature or just literally lie on the floor or lie on the sofa for, for, for five to 10 minutes and just do some deep breathing activities, just some, some calming breathing and just, you know, feel almost like grounding my body. So yeah. unless we practice and try these things out, mm. we're not necessarily going to uncover the amazing opportunity to support ourselves that's already uh, available to us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, that where 
it's understanding there are no bad emotions this idea that they're good emotions and bad emotions you know anger is really helpful fear is really helpful sadness is you know it's all just part of the human experience so if we can learn I, I love that that you teach that to your daughters if we can teach children from a really young age not to be afraid of any emotion but just recognize it acknowledge it and let it move through us so by running or stamping or even lying on your bed and just you know kind of like a toddler I get people to do this (laughs) if they've got mobility issues is just to punch them kick the bed you know you're not going to hurt yourself doing it but it's that release is really helpful yeah I I agree and I think you know we often on you carry on you're sad to cry to you know just let it and it's just allowing that emotion to move through us because it will pass they they never stay they're like waves you know they'll come and then they'll they'll break and then they'll come and then they'll crash down and yeah yeah. I always like to say we're on an ocean of emotion yes yeah and and so like we're we're on our ship uh, on the ocean and we 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 want to navigate a course and we can choose to either hold the tiller on the ship and, and navigate it and watch the, emo- you know, watch the waves of emotion that are there and, and use them to our advantage. Or if we don't have the skills to hold the tiller because we haven't had the training, we often hide in the galley area or hide down beneath the ship. And then we're a victim to yeah. the waves of emotion. Yeah. And the key thing is, is to try and yeah. get yourself out from the depths of the ship uh, and learn how to become a captain of your ship or your emotional ship, yeah, yeah. Um, as it as it were, and, and and learn to 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 use the waves to to best effect to help you rather than to capsize you. I love that. That's such a great analogy. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I, I'd love to um, dive into your your past if you're <clears throat> willing, only if you're willing to share that that let obviously there was there was something. Uh, that happened historically that led you into being interested in mental health in the first place would you mind sharing any of of the the stories that you've been on any of the traumas that you've experienced yeah so as a young adult I think unfortunately this is really common for women I I experienced sexual trauma uh, Mm. more than once and whilst I went to seek help I was just told that I had depression so where where now I can look back and go very 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 clearly it was blindingly obvious that I had PTSD I was told that I had depression that I had a part of my brain that would always be sad and negative and I just had to accept that and live with that which was at 19 20 quite horrific to just accept that so I just pushed it down as as you do it's a very normal trauma response to just suppress Mm -hmm. it and push it down and just try and get on with it and just immersed myself into medical school training um and you know often as you can see when you read kind of literature around around trauma when we have a pattern when we're exposed to something then sometimes we don't read things properly and we can be exposed again had another Mm -hmm. incident happen when I was at medical school again I was told it was my fault because I'd had a drink even though it wasn't like I was completely drunk even if but that's never an excuse Mm -hmm. so there's always this blaming um and there was even then there was just something that I 
knew wasn't right. Like somehow something that I was being told, it just didn't sit right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we had to do like a mini dissertation um, uh, in my second year at medical school. And I argued, I got a really bad mark, but I argued the case that medication and psychiatry wasn't the answer, that we needed to change things around ourselves, um, as well as maybe take medication and and and, and see medical professionals. Um, I barely scraped past for actually uh, saying that, but it's interesting that, you know, I was like 22, 23. Um, and then going through medical training is tough. Like what we yeah. see, what we're exposed to is really hard. And we have, there's no, no forms at all of debriefing. Wow. Um, That's not, it's not putting, you know, militarily speaking, we didn't used to have this uh, training that people needed in order to deal with the uh, situations that you get put in. And it, 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 isn't it sad, sad and shocking yeah. that that's not offered in emergency services personnel yeah. like like yourselves no and it's something there's I mean there's a lot of research showing that medical students from between the first year and the fifth year their compassion changes so their compassion for others decreases which is mm-hmm. horrific mm-hmm. um and you know I then started specializing in pediatrics mm-hmm. um the amount of horrific things that I saw you know I mean but it was part of the job it wasn't that I was any different it's just was part and parcel of what I was doing but all of that just kind of built up and built up and built up um and then I'd ended up doing a really really stressful job um in a in an organization that was very poorly managed Mm -hmm. um and that was that was it and so the way that I often explained the idea of trauma is that thinking about this idea of having like a, a big bag of worries or a big bag of, of a big kind of bucket of, of stones. And yeah. there's, there's rocks and stones, you know, there's really big things that you can put in there. So with me, it's things like sexual assault and um, and seeing horrific things in my training, but then it's also, you know, whether it's cost of living crisis, whether it's parents becoming unwell, there's lots of things that kind of add on, add on. And then it may be that just, you know, a friend forgets your birthday or the light bulb in the mirror goes uh, in, in the bathroom when you're trying to get ready and you just snap. Your so I know bucket's for- full and it yeah, spills over because exactly. you can't hold it anymore. Exactly. So I know for me that there was a buildup of just more and more stress. And then I, I I saw a patient who just reminded me of something horrific that had happened. It was nothing to do with that patient. It was nothing that they did wrong. There's maybe certain phrasing that they had that just um, was a bit sexist. You know, we hear that all the time, unfortunately, still. Um, and it just, it, that was enough to just remind me of, of, of an assault that had happened. Um, and, and that was it. And it's, so it's understanding that everything that I had kind of been loading up over decades, then just spilt out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it, you know that the the reaction to that incident that had happened that morning it was it was nothing really to do with that it was nothing to do with that particular surgery that particular patient that particular consultation it was way more than that and it was 
decades of 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 trauma of grief of anger of hurt that just my brain and body just didn't know what to do with and once that had opened it just all came out and mm. and overwhelmed my brain to a point that I just couldn't function literally yeah and I think that often happens to so many people you know Dr Philip Alexander's on the show he's a pediatrician he was talking about how his you know childhood trauma and then becoming a, a pediatrician or stat you know he was passionate about helping children because of his experience yeah. and then the stress of the workplace environment um, just tipped him over in, in into depression and yeah. he always had to get help but the problem there was the help wasn't available for 18 months so we had you know an open wound that was gushing for 18 yeah. months because of the broken system that we have here in the UK um which makes it so much harder for people to to heal dealing with this open wound for so long it does and I think and it's something that I very much reflected on at the time I mean it it was a huge financial burden me being unwell and and it's something that I'm still that I'm still dealing with that Hmm. um and you know I could manage just um, and had support of my family, but it it's we're still still you know years later there's the repercussions from that, and it's mm. understanding that you know many people aren't in the position where they where they can get help. Um, <clears throat> you know the therapist that I saw was private, yeah, and and it, it's a lot of money, and I tried to get help through the NHS. I tried the normal routes. Um, I was met with just a, you know, w- what would you like to do? And I, I, I couldn't even sit down. I was pacing. I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even sit in the waiting room and wait for my appointment. I was too anxious. Yeah. Um, and so, this complete lack of understanding and recognition, and understanding of how to help in a really small way of just teaching people grounding techniques, mm. you know, reassuring people that they will get better. <clears throat> this idea of saying you know there's fundamentally something flawed and wrong with you let's give you a personality disorder label because you're kind of really anxious and struggling here you know for a lot of people either they go into that because they they have no other resource and then they end up down a route where often they're just really medicated and end up with loads of psychiatric labels or they just go away and try and avoid getting help because they're so fearful of that Mm -hmm. and then they kind of fall apart quietly and no one really notices Mm -hmm. but it's it there is so much that we can do without it needing to cost the earth yeah I I completely agree and you know my experience I can relate to to your sexual um uh, trauma that you had at uh during university I I had uh, similar experience um which was tied back into the an adverse childhood experience I had Um, and what ended up happening for me is I um suppressed it like you like you said um but I became very angry um about the way in which I was treated and Mm. in fact I became my own worst enemy in the context of how I behaved as my my defensive response mechanism Um, making the whole situation a whole heap worse um, because I was so angry and I wanted to be in control 
yeah. uh, as it were, because I wasn't. Um, and I ended up having um, therapy um, right when I was having my finishing my PhD and going through a viral, it was a whole heap of mess I created because of my behaviour. Um, and it, and it was really it was really difficult um, because the therapy I had um, actually didn't deal with the behavioural problems that I was having, um, which I can reflect on now and un- better understand. But but didn't address the how I was responding to the situation, my continued response mm. um, associated with my past trauma that I was not able to decouple until much much later beyond beyond the therapy when I got you know into brain health coaching and so on. And yeah. I, and I think it's really important that you know we mentioned earlier is understanding how we respond to yeah. those situations. And and the why we're responding in that way, and and what we want to do to change it, so that we are having a constructive relationship with ourselves and with others, rather than a dis- destructive one. Yeah, absolutely. It's that recognition and understanding that just makes all the difference. And I and I think you know the amount of therapists. I mean, I, I don't know. I was trying to work out the other day. I've, I mean, at least 10, 12 over the past 20, 20, 25 years. Um, and only one, one actually picked up what was going on. Um, and it's, you know, and I, I just kind of wanted to say again about just kind of go back to that point about um, medical training. And I think it's not just for doctors, it's for nurses, you know, anyone kind of in that sphere you know, when Adam Kay's book came out, This Is Gonna Hurt, and then when it came out on the BBC, there were so many healthcare professionals that have just said, I can't watch it. It reminds me too, it's not funny. I don't, it's not, it was kind of billed as a comedy. It's not comedy. This mm. is, this reminds me too much of my own training, my own work. And yet we still don't do anything about it. We still don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge all of the stress that's that's associated with that work and there is so much that we can do so like you said if we recognize those responses if we can see what happens we can prepare people for it if we if we put things in place around debriefing around you know understanding what's going to happen in the first place debriefing recognizing responses then we can help people not get into that situation in the first place Mm. And, and I, I, yeah, so important. It's that awareness piece, isn't it? Because when you're living when uh, and reliving a past trauma because you're in an automated response that's been conditioned in your survival uh, instinct mm-hmm. that keeps us alive, until you can pause yeah. and stop and go, okay, I've got the power to change the film now because I'm the director of my own film. Yeah. Um, until you take that time to pause and reflect, um, you it's very hard to accept how your how your how your film is playing out, <laughs> whether yeah. that's your past film or your present film. Yeah, absolutely, and it's something that I think. Um, I mean, over the over the years, I've clearly treated countless people who've experienced trauma um and who have signs and symptoms of what we would call PTSD 
and I didn't recognize it. And I think a lot of that is because I didn't recognize what was going on in myself. So if I don't recognize it in me, how am I going to recognize it in others? Yeah. And and it's then having that understanding. Like I said, it's like then putting on glasses and you're like, oh, right. That's okay. Now I get it. That's what's going on. And then it just shifts what you do. It shifts how you talk to someone. Um, and it just then takes that that treatment that healing for that person that interaction down a completely different route yeah agreed and I think the other thing that's really important for me personally um, is how we approach the conversation with that person because I know um, I have a real bugbear about this and you can absolutely shoot me down if you want to but um, when we typically have mental health conversations you know you mentioned at the beginning I was just about okay it, when mental health is tends to be being okay uh, rather than performing optimally so we get to 50% out of 100% which is okay and then we stop we can stop doing the work because we're okay I'm not okay with 50% out of 100 I want to be 90% and above in terms of performance but yeah. the other thing I find with mental health and the way that the mental health labeling has evolved over the course of history is it's come from a very uh, them and us culture is I'm perfectly fine and, and you're not um, that yeah. particular culture but also because of the way that we've been doing the labeling historically why the earth we haven't had the foresight to change it given we've got all of these gender changes that we're completely capable of dealing with yeah. um, is is we label somebody as being faulty so the disorder is a classic rather than viewing them that they're hurt and they have a wound and they need to heal. But the way that the conversation pans out is we talk about I have a mental health problem versus when we talk about brain health is my brain is in trouble, same as the heart health and my heart's got a problem. So you're taking the focus away from the person being faulty and looking at the particular part of the body that it, or mind that, that is struggling and um, so you can look at it much more subjectively and look at the system, the whole system that's causing the problem rather than the person being seen as the problem. Yeah. So, you know, like I, when my daughter had a heart, heart murmur, it was super easy conversation to have with her because we could point to a heart. We could talk about it. The heart mm. could be in trouble and so on. It's sim simple, easy, understandable. Same with the brain. Mind, look after your brain and we can talk about the, the the software and the hardware in our brain and it's people can contextualize it and understand it whereas mental health can sometimes be a bit ethereal um and difficult for people to yeah. grasp and the language is very much focused on the person being faulty rather than then we needing to heal some a wound in, inside or outside or both uh, of that particular individual yeah and I, I also think there's so much fear around it like it's if somebody says that there's somebody has a mental health issue, people get become really afraid and they're like, oh, don't quite know if I can work with that person, how I can talk to that person. And so there is still such a stigma around actually being honest and saying, I'm not OK. Yeah. And I've got mental health issues. Oh, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my mental health. It's it's then people just look at you as like, well can you cope with life? Like, can you do your job? And so yeah. there's this huge fear both about acknowledging it and, 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 and um, 
and 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 uh, yeah, and stating that that's the case, um, and also then for the other other people on the other side of of treating it, and I see this all the time that there's a real fear around just you know then if you if you mention trauma then is on top of that it's like people just want to separate it all out it's like oh that's a whole other thing I'm just not going to talk about it but the problem is when you don't acknowledge it when you don't validate someone when they're when they're trying to say something and trying to say look I think this happened and maybe this is part of what's what's holding me back people just want to shut it off and it's those behaviors that were originally survival responses that are often the bit that's holding someone back that like you say they're they're functioning but they are so terrified and have such crippling self-doubt and so much shame that to stand up for a promotion to to be seen at work and to say actually no do you know what I deserve a pay rise to put themselves forward for the for that you know that bid that presentation there's just too much that they can't do it so they hold back but so we've yeah. got these untapped brains and and resources and and this wealth of of knowledge and wisdom that we're just not using because people are, t- are too afraid and yet if we actually can help people to make the links if we can acknowledge it and recognize it and validate people we can help them to fly. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, you know, I think it's so easy, isn't it, for sometimes us to put people in that mental health bucket, then they get put on a mental health pathway that doesn't suit their needs. Yeah. Uh, and can easily get lost in the system because they've been allocated this bucket. You're, you know, whether it's the workplaces, it was. Um, for, for one of my traumatic experiences, being told I had no emotional intelligence shortly after having a miscarriage at work, um, you know, getting put on a, a pathway to to being told, oh, you know, within three months we're going to um, stop paying you because you're on this particular pathway, and uh, and all you want is for for the pain to go away. Yeah. Um, just like if you had a broken <laughs> a broken yeah. leg, you know, you don't get. Um, well, you, you, depending on your work circumstances, but people are much, tend to be more compassionate, more aware, yeah. uh, and more supportive if you have a broken leg in the work because they can see it, it. It's that's the thing. It's about something that's visible, and then people are are kind of comfortable with acknowledging it, with stating it, with with showing compassion around it, and that's where this this idea of being trauma informed is so important because, like you know, we've both talked about that unfortunately we had experiences with with sexual assault when we were younger. There's a report from the NSPCC that actually 31% of 18 to 24-year-olds talk about childhood abuse. You know, these things happen so commonly. One in five children lives with a perpetrator of domestic abuse. This is not something, these are from this country. This is not something that's out there that is just not happening to you know it happens only to those people over there it's not going to happen to anyone near me to me if we work with people we're working with psychological trauma and so to not understand it to not like you say be able to recognize it recognize behaviors we're really doing them a disservice because 
just with that recognition and then like you said the language that we can change around how we speak to someone can have a profound impact on that person's future not just in that moment but the whole trajectory of their life yeah i i 100 100% agree and i i think it's so sad that we are not equipping people with tools that are available now to take into the coaching environment, to take into schools, to take into the workplace, to help people be more trauma aware of themselves. You know, I I, I encourage anybody who's listening, um, if you're able to, only if you're able to, to take the time to write down all of the traumatic experiences you've had in your life um, you don't have to go into any more, you know, don't have to write the words because that can be traumatic in its own right. But just try and, you know, list out how many. And you will have a whole, often people have a whole stack of them. And the more you think about it, the more you can, you, more you can uncover. You know, I've had all sorts of trauma from childhood. Um, I'm not, we'd be here for hours if I talked about all my trauma. But, you know, we have a whole heap of it, don't we? Some of it yeah. is massively impacts our behaviors and and how we show up and and some of it we you know depending on the environment and the circumstances and how we viewed it at the time um we we can go yeah learn from that i i can move on but it's it's having that awareness personally and being trauma informed about yourself like you said and Mm. then you're much it's much easier to be more trauma aware and compassionate about other people's yeah Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's understanding not everybody who lives through a traumatic experience goes on to have consequences. So it's, it's roughly between, uh, you know, depending on what happens. So if it's, if it's sexual assault, if it's sexual trauma, it's between 15, 60% go on to have, have consequences. But, you know, it, it varies from between kind of, 10 20 to 50 60 percent of people go on to have consequences depending like I said on what happens and obviously that takes into account the the context of what's going on around them so for example unfortunately there's 78 percent of of young women and girls who disclose sexual assault are not believed so if they're not believed then that's going to suppress even more their you know their belief in themselves that something's wrong and and that they're they are validated in not feeling okay and finding things difficult and like you said there are so many different causes of trauma and some of them you know might be something quite small something might be a really big thing and again it's very much the context of how it impacts somebody but it's it's understanding how that can impact our physical health but it can impact our behaviors the way that we interact with people the way that we build relationships with people the way we are able to work the way we can show up in the world and so just that understanding I mean we keep coming back to that understanding just the understanding it, it totally can transform people's lives and yeah. it's it's that that absolutely that point that you are not broken you know if there is something that's happened and you're impacted by it it means you're human it doesn't mean there's anything wrong it doesn't mean that there's anything faulty or broken that needs to be fixed 
you're having a normal response to an abnormal situation that, okay, maybe now isn't serving you. So we need to unpick it and look at those learned behaviors and see what we can, how we can adapt and, and what we can do instead. But yeah. there is absolutely a way out. That's, mm. that's what's so important. There's always a way out. There's always a way through. Mm. Mm. I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, in the context of people experiencing trauma, that, that it, you know, any type of abuse, how it is encoded in your mind as the victim of the abuse can be very different to how it's encoded as the perpetrator. So a, a victim, because it is traumatic, because it, it's a physical trauma and we've gone into survival response, will be uh, very easy potentially to recall that experience because there's an emotion, there's a lots of different components, particularly an emotional one associated with the trauma that they've experienced conversely perpetrators if they do it a lot or it's not perceived as something that's wrong by them them psychologically they might not even remember it because mm. it's not encoded in their mind to be a memory that's worth holding on to so it's very you know that and and the same applies if you're a in a, lots of different people in the same situation, how we are positioned in that situation and what we see and how we see it and what our previous life experiences are will depend on how much we uh, see it as a traumatic experience versus it's just com common day uh, occurrence. So if you're listening yeah. and you've had a trauma and you know, you're comparing yourself to others or you're comparing yourself to the perpetrator, please don't. No. Because the trauma is is what's happened inside of you as a result of what's happened to you. And if it's hurting and you feel like you have an open wound still, um, then then please go and please go and get help and please Absolutely. go and get support. Yeah. The way that traumatic memories are, are kind of filed away in our brain. There, it's it's not filed away in the way that other memories, kind of conventional memories, no. are. That's why they are attached to the sensory parts of our, you know, the, the the sensory memories. So that's why it's with smell, touch, sight, sounds, and taste, and it can just flood our brains when we when we when that comes up in a different, you know, a different stage later in our lives. So it's very much just how memories are encoded and embedded, and how they're formed that they're yeah. kind of misfiled in a sense. And so yeah. the treatment of trauma, when we talk about processing memories, it's about those memories. Unfortunately, you can never forget them. You know, what's happened has happened. Mm -hmm. But it's about those memories being filed away correctly so that we can choose to access them or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we don't get kind of triggered and then flooded and hijacked by them. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, and we do have the power to change our memory as well. So a lot, yeah. a lot of the work I do with clients who have very complex trauma or, you know, extreme trauma from the event is you can, you can, as I mentioned, you're the director of your film. So you can, and I did this for my, when I experienced the loss of my dad and witnessed his passing, um, is I added magic into my memory of that particular event. Um yeah and made it a much calm, more calming experience by changing how I chose to recall the experience. So there's a lot, and you can put walls up and all sorts of stuff. So there's lots of ways in which you can choose to recall, you know, change the recall of the cognitive uh, 
encoding that you have as part of your mind and then and you know through other techniques and metasensory and stuff you change your autonomic response and so on but it's understanding what your outflows are um and how is most appropriate to address them is yeah. what's really important with finding the right therapist that is going to tap into the outflows that you need to downregulate. Yeah, it's even like what you were saying earlier, that if you're talking about the same thing over and over again as something traumatic, you're reinforcing that pathway, you're reinforcing that brain, that neural pathway. Yeah. So if we choose to create other memories and think about other things, our brain, what's amazing, our brain doesn't distinguish between what actually happened and what we imagine has happened. Yeah. We can choose to think about and visualize and imagine something else and something different and and create a safe space that we go to in our brain and really pad that safe space out with what we can see what we can smell what we can hear what we touch when we put our hands down yeah and and that can become just as strong a memory it's something that becomes then a new neural pathway and we can create that and that's exactly what is so exciting about working with trauma because we literally can change our brains we've got the capacity to do that you know I absolutely I find it so utterly fascinating how malleable our brains are how powerful they are um and how we're just really not tapping into the potential we have to unchain our own personal pain uh, mm. and informing people you know being more trauma informed about the fact that you have an enormous amount of power within you um yeah particularly when we tap into our five senses and use yeah. them for us um yeah. to, to create a, a what we sometimes call post-traumatic growth is exactly. we take the trauma and we turn it into a positive learning experience and actually yeah. propel forward in life yeah I think we're both so, an example of that by the sounds of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. so um I know we've talked a lot about trauma I've had such a fascinating conversation um what piece of advice would you give to anybody who is struggling with trauma and, and maybe they they're worried we talked about shame or the disclosure of it what what would your advice be to anybody who's struggling they feel they've got an open wound fundamentally there is nothing wrong with you it's not your fault there's nothing you've done wrong and these responses are normal responses to an abnormal situation and there is help there are ways out there are things that you could do we've talked about some of them today but really starting slowly with being compassionate and kind to yourself and knowing that you've done nothing wrong, you've done nothing to deserve this and that there is going to be a way out. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to recognise that. And, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And remember, somebody's been down a similar tunnel before you and they can they can show you the way. Yeah. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out for support to Dr. Susanna or myself or anyone else who you trust um, yeah. who, who who might who might not be able to be the therapist for you, but signpost you to people who, who could support yeah. you. And with that in mind, um, Dr. Susanna, how can people get hold of you, learn more about becoming more trauma informed? So, yeah, thank you. So my um, my website is just my name. So it's um, drsusannapecci.com. 
Um, and there's a page in there about my Trauma Sense program, which is a pioneering program to teach tra- uh, coaches, life coaches and other healthcare professionals to become trauma informed. Um, and so um, we're starting a new cohort at the end of April. So if anyone's interested, please take a look um, and just can connect with me through LinkedIn um, or through my email, which is through my website. So I'd love to hear from anyone. Um, and yeah, thank you. No, you're most welcome. I do really encourage people to reach out to that, and um, particularly coaches, because there's a very fine balance as a coach where you can open Pandora's box, as has happened to other guests on my show, and yeah. not have the tools and techniques or experience on how to deal with it. And once the Pandora's box gets open, it's very difficult to put that lid on. Back exactly. on. So it's yeah. really important as a coach that you do get that training um, yeah. to support you in becoming more trauma-informed so do do reach out for that um dr suzanne it's been uh, honestly i've had so much fun with this conversation thank you so much for coming on the show i'm super excited to um stay connected with you and 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 learn more about your trauma-informed uh programs that you have and um and thank you for sharing your journey sharing your story uh, and being a a force for good and an opportunity to shine the light for people um, to help them find their way out of the pain they're in. Thank you. It's been a real privilege being being on this pro- podcast with you. It's been really good fun. And um, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Oh, no, you're most welcome. Remember, everyone, this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. And Dr. Susanna Petch's kindly been here to show us how. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for opportunities to optimise your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programs. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love.